Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here with some folks from Yellowbird today to talk about how they work with construction companies to ensure safe workplaces amid so many government regulation changes. We'll also discuss how it matches certified environmental, health and safety workers for on-demand work to fill in gaps, build and implement training programs, investigate incidents, and file OSHA reports. Most importantly, we're going to go over the top safety concerns that electrical professionals, who are our readers and listeners, need to plan for in 2022. ECNM On Air is one of the many new benefits available to our members-only portal which offers exclusive member benefits and premium content that's hand-selected by our editorial team. If you're interested in finding out more, you can register on our website, ecmweb.com, in the drop-down menu under premium content. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please check our website for the links mentioned in this podcast. You can find it in the premium content area. So I'm gonna let our guests introduce themselves briefly today before we jump right into the discussion. So Michelle, would you like to begin? Sure, thank you. Um, So my name is Michelle Tinsley. I'm the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder at Yellowbird. Um, I got my career start at Intel. I worked there for 26 years, um, 18 in finance, and then moved over to be a general manager, ran a product team for a long time, and then ended up in sales. So lots of different functions. Then decided to leave corporate and go into my own consulting business. So as our professionals on our platform, I can kind of feel their pain of looking for the next client and and running a consulting business, Um, but then got pulled into a startup to be a founder and decided that's really what I love is building and shaping a company. And in this case, hopefully shifting the dynamics of safety in an industry uh, by bringing technology to that problem. Wonderful, okay. I'm Nathan Pinnico. Um, I originally started in operations. Uh, I did a stint in the Marines after I got out of high school. Um, And then I, kind of went into just the normal jobs. Um, I ran heavy equipment during the day, worked the sheriff's department at night while I was going to school in between. And then I got into um, multiple different things from logistics management, warehouse management, things like that. Um, Eventually I was in oil and gas, uh, drilling oil wells in the Gulf of Mexico. And I got my start in safety there. Um, I really didn't have any interest in it, but they offered me a raise in an air conditioned office. So (laughs) I accepted. And then uh, it kind of fit. So from there, I got recruited by um, Anadarko Petroleum and Chevron Shell BP. Uh, I kind of did some work for everybody. Uh, Eventually started my own consulting company and went all over the world developing EHS programs. Okay, great. Well, could you both tell us a little bit about your company, Yellowbird, first of all, um, so that our, our readers can understand that and then how it can help construction companies provide safer workplaces. And then we'll go into some more specific discussions about safety concerns. Sure, so our company got its start in 2019. Our CEO was in an Uber. The driver was amazing. And he said to the gentleman, can I ask you, what did you do before Uber? Because no offense, but it seems like you're kind of overqualified. And the gentleman said, yeah, I was a Colonel in the Chilean Air Force. I wanted to move to the United States to be near grandkids. And this is the only work I can do on demand. And so he kind of let that thought rattle around. He then went to work as a salesman selling satellite communications into high consequence industries, people who need the seven nines availability for 911. 
And he started realizing all these EHS people got their start in their career in the late 80s when OSHA was formed. And they're looking to lightly retire, but they have the persona that they want to give back. They never want to completely turn off. They never want to kind of let their stale, you know, skills go stale. Um, and so he thought, what if there was a platform like an Uber where you could dial up an EHS professional and get a top-notch person anywhere in the nation? And he looked into it and there was nothing like it. Um, so then he thought, well, surely there's no need for this. And he started doing more research and realized the environmental health and safety industry is a $5 billion global market every year. And there's nothing exactly like this. There's the traditional models. So he formed a company. I then joined him as co-founder in September, and we set out doing a ton of research on does this idea even have merit? The answer we got resoundingly was yes. A lot of people saying, damn it, I wish I had that idea. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and um, we started up the company uh, with a live website in November of 19 and, and took on our first professionals in December and started revenue in January 2020. Well, we were cruising along for two months, feeling good, and then COVID hits, and it nearly could have killed our company. Um, we came through the pandemic basically saying, we have to lean in and, if anything, make this a strength, that now industrial hygiene as a skill set is available to any company on demand across the United States at a time when people need that. And so by leaning in on that, we not only survived, but thrived in our first year of revenue. And this year, we've now done 600% more volume in 2021 over 2020. Wow. Uh, we've used 3x the number of professionals on the platform. So we're actively pumping jobs. Uh, we're, we're doing now virtual work. So mm -hmm. we're enabling things like policy rewrites, content creation to be done from anywhere. So we're tapping into, you know, a pro may live in Delaware. There haven't been any customers in Delaware yet, but nationwide, their skill sets in demand and we enable their skills to be tapped into. So that's kind of where we're going. We want to enable a top-notch level of safety affordable to companies uh, nationwide. And for us, it's about building our network of amazing professionals, each one of them unique in their experiences and background, and all of them just really cool, amazing individuals. Well, okay. So do you serve all different kinds of markets, or are you mainly focusing on construction industry? Our top three verticals are construction, manufacturing, and oil and gas, because those tend to be the industries where hazards are changing, if not on a daily, a weekly basis. Um, but we will do things like we've done COVID protocols for churches and schools um, because, again, they don't have industrial hygienists, but they want to do the right thing. Uh -huh. um, so as they bring people, you know, from a telecommuting or a Zoom environment back into the in physical in person, they wanted to do it right. And they hired us to just get that done affordably. Um, we will do things like a lot of warehousing and logistics. There's a lot of issues with forklift use, um, you know, lifting things, distracted drivers, um, things like um, the, the just the driver safety is huge. A lot of these warehousing companies have a huge expense around their driver's insurance policy. So mm -hmm. they're always looking to invest to reduce those rates. Okay, well, that's it's a fascinating idea. So I was just wondering, um, were you initially intending for it to be more remote and, you know, doing the, the televisits and all of this, or did that kind of evolve through COVID? This was purely a pivot driven by COVID. Our initial okay. thought was like every other marketplace. If you remember back to 10 years ago, when Uber got their start, they went city by city and they would find both riders and drivers in a city. When they got to a good position, they would then jump to another city. And if you went to a city that didn't have Uber yet, you'd open the app and it'd say, oh, snap. You know, we're not here yet, but we'll register that you wanted an Uber here. And that 
drove them to schedule when were they going to open. We had the same thought that we would go city by city, turn on professionals, turn on customers, and then go to another city. And what we happened with COVID, we got 2,000 people signed up in June of 2020. And we said it would be terrible for these folks to sit around and wait for a year or two until we finally got to their city. Right. Um, and knowing that we can make these matches nationwide and basically service a third of our customers virtually, mm -hmm. let's go for nationwide all at once. So it was a little bit scary as a startup to say we're going to sign up for that. We don't want it to be a bad experience where we right. overcommit. Over right. um, but it's honestly worked nicely. And I think, again, we're getting more of our professionals tapped into by doing it that way. That's amazing. So what type of workers are you recruiting specifically? And, and you've kind of touched on this, but you said about a third are virtual or how those workers are traveling on site um, to like our readers would be electrical job sites or companies or kind of how does that all work as far as, you know, the logistics go? Yeah, so from recruiting customers, what we're doing is trying to get into these industries and understand the use cases. What is that high value, high use that a customer would need done. Sometimes it's just urgency. They have somebody out sick or quit um, and they now just need to get that position covered because they, they don't want their workplace unsafe. Um, others, they can kind of wait a week or two, schedule it for training or an, an in, you know, like a mock OSHA inspection. Um, so we will work with the client for kind of what meets their needs. On the professional side, we do see a lot of folks and we'll let Nathan, you know, talk here more. It's a lot of times people who were in an industry, they, they kind of grew up in the electrical industry. We see a lot of linemen going back and becoming a safety professional and potentially kind of, in my mind, the highest level um, accreditation in that space is a CUSP, the, the Certified Utility Safety Professional. Um, but they are then using that field work. If you're a safety person who is also a lineman, you are very good about knowing the hazards and, and the, the um, particular ways to go about doing things in a very disciplined fashion so that you're not both harming yourself, but also coworkers. Um, in the workplace. And so we, we highly value all the experience people have had, not just the five safety credentials or 10 that they may have. It's we want to know about the whole person and, and all their experiences. So as far as our readers go, the electrical professionals, could you give us some examples of how you work with those types of companies specifically? And then maybe what kind of tasks do they need the most help with? Um, and then I, I did have one other question was, you know, are these people that maybe need a one-time service or is this something that would be ongoing or something, you know, that could be more of a, a permanent relationship or, or both? We okay. have seen a variety of work come through. Some of the more exotic ones uh, were around the, again, the electrical workload spaces. We had a company that was painting high voltage power lines and they needed our person to be on site six months of the year um, in the northeast of the U.S. to basically define the safety protocol and ensure that the tradespeople working day in and day out with the painting projects were following that safety protocol. Another really fun one we got was they needed somebody to go out and define and manage the safety protocol for the folks that do the repairs on the high voltage power lines. So what's interesting about that is they don't shut down those power lines. They're actually running tons of electricity through those lines. They deliver the worker to the line uh, wearing a Faraday suit. The electricity flows around the human being. They get there on a helicopter, they are dropped off and they work four hours, then they get taken off for lunch break and then put back on the lines. And so we needed to have, again, somebody that had aviation safety experience, work with helicopters, work with highly electrical workloads. 
Um, we've done also then the less exotic lockout tag out. Okay. We do lots of lockout tag out um, procedures as well as just on-site safety staffing. So again, it could be a, a quick training a day. You know, we say as short as two hours uh, or as long as, you know, six, nine months, whatever the client needs for them. Okay. Okay, great. And maybe Nathan can share kind of his experience of having done an electrical gig job. Right. And some of the, maybe the specific tasks, like what are the electrical, as far as your experience goes with the electrical customers, what kind of specific tasks are they asking for the most help with? Or is it, is it kind of broad across the board? Or are there certain things, you know, like with OSHA violations that keep coming up again and again, like you would think they would go down, but those categories stay the same every year on what the citations come for and what the injuries are, you know, being accounted for. Um, from my experience, uh, the last one that I did was uh, specific to lockout. So it was manufacturing, but with a large emphasis on electrical work. And what they were trying to do was have us help them analyze what they had, the equipment they had in the facility, and then develop um, lockout tagout instructions. So the guys that were going to work on the equipment, how do they do it safely? How do they kill the power? And you know, uh -huh. where's the best place to do that? Okay. And so do you come up with a customized approach, obviously, for each client and what they're asking for? So it could be as little or as much as they want. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. I can give you a generic canned version, or if you want us to come out there and actually come on site and mm -hmm. go through every piece of equipment and write, you know, take pictures and say this particular valve or this particular uh, device. Okay. And you could do that either remotely or in person. Sometimes, obviously, you have to be in person, but, you know, certain things could be done remotely. Correct. Yeah, the reviewing of their policy manuals around lockout tagout can absolutely be done virtually. Okay. Um, I think one of the interesting things we did some research this last year in just 2021, there were 57,000 regulatory changes in the US and Canada around environmental health or safety. So whether that be the EPA, OSHA, state level agencies, county level environmental, a lot of times is county or municipality level regulations. It is no wonder folks in the operations slash safety field are constantly feeling like they're trying to stay on top of all these changes yeah, and honestly be compliant, um, let alone just be uncompliant because they weren't aware that a change was made. Um, I would say our role in the sales function at Yellowbird is to really, again, understand what does that customer need? What are they willing to scope in the job? And what's the most effective way to do that? Could we do it virtually? We'll always try to do it virtually if we can. Mm -hmm. But if it either needs to be hybrid with a one-time visit and then a lot of, you know, homework or desk work after the fact, then give them their written report. Or is it, it again, uh, a full on-site because they need you to physically be locking and tagging out the equipment? A lot of times one of the barriers to these types of jobs is just the, do they have the updated blueprints and or grid, you know, schema mm -hmm. for the manufacturing facility or the utility uh, inputs and outputs that are truly up to date. Um, so it, it's really kind of, again, forcing some of that compliance into areas that aren't necessarily safety. Definitely. That's really interesting. So from, um, let's go ahead and get into the, what one thing that our readers would be really interested in is you know what are the top safety items that they need to plan for in 2022 as you know they're looking at this year and you know there's so many things pulling them in so many directions can you kind of narrow that down and break them down into a few uh, top safety concerns that maybe you've seen as trends and that you know everyone should be looking out for this year sure um, so I'll start with number five uh, basically this is anything around emergency or disaster 
preparedness and response. So obviously electrical workloads, when a tornado comes through or a hurricane, an earthquake, those electrical lines may be disrupted. They may be an active hazard that Joe Public is getting um, potentially exposed to. So they need to a lot of times call in extra resources to make sure that we, again, get the hazard contained and then put in either new construction to fix the issue or again, barriers to make sure that the public isn't harmed. Um, so those are kind of things to consider around that. The number four one is anything around electrical PPE. So right. this is protecting the workers that are day in and day out working with these electrical workloads to make sure that they're protected um, and that they have the right equipment for the right job. The third one we see is electrical hazard recognition. Again, in a construction type setting, those hazards could change daily. Um, so it does mean a daily job hazard assessment, you know, walking the site, making sure that as things are changing, the building uh, or environment is improving and they're adding more things. They may have both eliminated a, a former hazard, but created a new one. And so how do we adjust the plans around that? Um, and how do we properly communicate to all the workers, including a lot of workers who are Spanish as a native language. So we've done quite a bit of training in the Spanish, or we actually just did one last week in Korean in the New York area. Um, so this is the getting the worker trained in, in what's going to be most receptive to them. Um, our second highest thing is the lockout tagout. We talked earlier about not just the procedures, but training around the procedures. Why is it so important? Um, not just to, you know, hit somebody with a stick when they're doing something wrong. It's really ingraining it as a value because mm -hmm. you genuinely care about the workers and want them to go home safely every day. And lastly, the arc flash training. Um, this is a big one because again, it, it's so volatile and, and could really be a, a fatality, uh, which for some companies, unfortunately, depending on their size, could be a kind of a game over event for the company if they had a fatality on the job. I was gonna say, uh, we're actually pretty close on our, our top five there. Um, I would say most of the skilled labor positions have at least some knowledge about electrical safety. So accidents usually are not the result of ignorance. They're usually when someone tries to take a shortcut or they get so comfortable doing something and they're uh -huh. using an unsafe approach that they forget to follow a procedure that they know by heart. And then, you know, it's 99 times out of a hundred, you're going to do it and be just fine. But it's that one time that gets you. And, um, Another one that she, she didn't really mention or I didn't pick up on that I think is going to be huge in the next, well, for the foreseeable future at least, is uh, the labor shortages that are affecting everybody else. You know, the electrical professional, right. much like the rest of us, they're having a difficult time finding good employees. And this is a really unforgiving field where experience and sound judgment are critical to the survival, um, not only of the worker, but, you know, everybody around them. Um, new trainees, apprentices, uh, inexperienced personnel, they're all going to be a hazard to themselves and other and finding them is, it's going to be fun and you're going to have a lot more new people because you have a lot of people retiring. That is absolutely true. I was going to ask about that separately, but then you just completely answered that. Um, you know, that is obviously a huge need in this, not just electrical and in, in every industry. So I'm assuming that, you know, that's why your situation is so unique that you can help companies like that because when they don't have the right people, like you say, and you know, be of people retiring and all these different situations, you know, how are they supposed to uphold these safety standards? And it gets extremely difficult. Yes, ma'am. Actually, as a as a hiring person or person in charge of training a large group, so I was corporate EHS manager for Detroit Renewable Energy. We had a bunch of plants all over Michigan, mm -hmm. and um, I had a really hard time bringing in somebody that was properly qualified 
to train all of my electricians. Um, so this platform, had it existed, would have been great. Um, right. Luckily, I was able to find the guy. Um, he was a, he was already retired. He was you know roughly seventy years old, and he helped uh, write a lot of the nuclear policies for the United States. Um, Department of the Interior, Department of Energy and Duke Energy and things like that. Great guy, but it was difficult tracking him down. So something like this would have been pretty useful. Definitely. And then also, you know, it seems like the new people, you mentioned the apprentices, you know, just entering the industry, they are just hungry for that information and they're not getting it necessarily in school and you're having to learn on the job. And when there are fewer people to teach you, you know, it, it makes everyone tap, you know, everyone is just so tapped out with, with time. So resources like this are, are unique and important that, you know, they know they have alternatives like this to, you know, help them out because, and this is really a new thing. So I think that's why important we're talking about it. Absolutely. And they're not coming up from the farm or from working on stuff. They're coming up. I, I don't want to talk about anybody or say anything, but they're playing video games and you know, Zoom right. and stuff. They're not working on tractors or rewiring a house. Mm -hmm. There is a high degree of correlation between both what's important to the electrical and kind of industry and their workloads, as well as just in general OSHA. Um, I think what would be added to that is things around fall protection. Obviously, some of the electrical workloads are at a height um, uh, and have that I think sadly what happens is a lot of companies just don't put robust programs in place or it's felt as a flavor of the month kind of thing and not a truly a value of how every level of the organization is living to a standard around safety. Um, so it can't just be senior managers, it has to be the on-site supervisors and the individual workers that come to work every day because sadly they can, they can make a mistake or as Nathan said, get complacent about something they've done a million times and this time they just take a quick shortcut. And unfortunately that, even if it doesn't harm them, could harm a, another coworker. Um, so sadly, I think it's just human nature. Um, we'd like to be creative. We'd like to cut corners. <laughs> um, and, and that's sadly why some of these things keep coming up. I think also um, everybody's trying to be lean. You know, every organization wants to mm -hmm. do more with less. So you have a jack of many trades and master of none. And I think, and then also the resources we give them, you know, you can't take the guy out of the shop or off of the line or whatever and send him to two weeks of training for every particular topic every year. It's just not realistic. So right. some of the resources we have, you know, uh, get stretched thin, I guess. Exactly. Can you also, so you can help the companies with laying out what kind of, in order to kind of develop a safety culture, which is what, you know, we've learned that is, is what they need. Um, you know, you can help lay that out and, and, you know, list exactly what they would need to do in order to make the changes that they need to make because every situation is different. Yeah, that's actually one of the things we, we really try to promote is that it's a annual based plan and that there's regular activities, again, down to the daily activities on a construction job site with the job hazard analysis that's done every day. And it's really talking to the why. Um, with the workers on why are we asking you to do this? Why am I getting on you for not wearing your PPE? Uh -huh. Here's why, you know, um, versus just the, it's a rule, just follow it because I said so. Because again, commitment and compliance are two completely different things. Um, and what you want is the worker truly committed to a safe workplace and not just complying. Exactly. So we touched on this a little bit earlier about how the pandemic has impacted training. So um, maybe could we go into, do you think these changes will be permanent as a result of the pandemic or, you know, 
semi-permanent or how do you think these trends will keep going going forward as far as the way the training is being delivered? Um, so for me, I feel like we are in, we've permanently shifted. I, I know naively, I personally thought, oh, we're going to go home for two weeks and then we'll all come back to the office and get over this. And, uh -huh. and that'll be kind of a fun little experiment that we did. And here we are two years in and still managing through it. Um, so I look at this and say, what we've discovered is there's now a lot more forgiveness to doing virtual slash hybrid work. Um, the in-person stuff is really going to get scrutinized. Does it really need to be in person? I mean, yeah, sometimes you do need to physically go to the work site and see what's happening. Uh, there are things that can get missed if you're just trying to show something on a, on a video on a phone. Um, so, you know, things like forklift training have to be done on the piece of equipment that they're going to be driving every day. You can't use a supplemental different piece of equipment or do an online simulator and call that good enough um, because there's modifications and things on, the, on those devices. That's just an example. There will still be some essential training that's done in person. Um, but the beauty of this is we are now seeing some things uh, go virtual as well. And I think that, quote, omni-channel way of thinking about it of looking at how do we reach the worker in maybe shorter, quick snippets, videos, things that, again, maybe that will keep it more top of mind and less rote, less memorization, and again, uh -huh. more punitive um, and more interactive. Because again, when I look at my kids who have now two years into this, you know, and for my youngest one, two years of his schooling, he's only in third grade. It's, it's almost becoming the norm right. of how he's gone to school is online slash in school, back to home, you know, and, and so they're really digital natives. And so the, those folks are going to enter the workplace in 10, 15 yeah. years. And they're going to have a completely different way that they want to do their work. And so I think we do, even in heavy industries like the electrical workloads and construction, need to think about that, that worker coming at us in the future is going to be permanently shifted because of this. That's such a good point, the bringing up the, you know, your kids at that age. And you don't think about how that's going to, you know, affect them, you know, in 20 years. But you're exactly right. I mean, I used to get grounded when I did something wrong. And now these kids, I have to invite them out of their room. And it's almost like you, you're being forced to get out of the house with us because they would rather just sit in their cocoons forever. And I, and I was like, this isn't good. You know, they, they need social skills too. Um, but it's just going to be a very different work dynamic, I think. Well, definitely. I did want to, I want to mention, I, I just think this is all very fascinating. It's very, um, uh, the fact that you're doing this is very cutting edge and, and it's something that our readers need to know about. And I think probably a lot of them are not aware that these type of resources are out there. So I think that's why it's important to have this conversation today. And I really appreciate you sitting down with us and explaining how this all works, because it seems like something that's really new and different to the industry and something that's very well needed. So thank you. Sure. Yeah. We just look at it and say, we're such early days. We're truly just building awareness. And again, learning every day from the customers, what they value, where we need to dial in better on what workloads or, or gig type work is of value to them. Um, and then also learning from our safety professionals, you know, what work do they love doing and how could we make this a better experience for them? Um, so I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, you know, thinking again, we're hopefully two years on, on a multi-decade journey. Um, but I look at this and say, where the workforce is shifting, I think we can adequately meet the needs of what that workforce might want 10, 20 years from now. That's great. Well, I think we're about out of time. So I want to thank our guests for sharing their insight, industry knowledge, and experience with us today regarding the top safety concerns that electrical pro professionals need to pay attention to this year. 
And in closing, I'd also like to thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out the members only portal on our website for more podcasts and other content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.